You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Well, hey, for the last couple weeks, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and uh, there's been some really great themes in, in the book of Nehemiah, some stuff that we've been looking at, but what we've really been following is the life of Nehemiah, that Nehemiah uh, lived in captivity, uh, that Jerusalem had been destroyed, laid in ruins for over 141 years, and what we've noticed as we've looked at Nehemiah's life, the book of Nehemiah is actually his journal, is that God works in our brokenness. And I think that should encourage us that God is a God who works in our brokenness. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 61, uh, he talks about it this way. This is real biblical language, but he says that the Lord can take our ashes and actually turn it into a, a head dressing, that he can adorn us with beauty even when it seems like uh, our life has been burnt to the ground, that, that he can take uh, he can take our mourning and replace it with gladness. That he can take our weak and our faint heart and replace it with praise. In fact, one of the things that's interesting, church, is, is we kind of allow our brokenness to keep us from God. Uh, that we kind of tend to think when, when we're messed up, when our life's a little jacked up, when things are difficult, uh, we tend to think we need to distance ourselves from God, that we need to clean ourselves up, we need to put ourselves back together, we need to kind of take a quick rinse and wash, and then we can come to God. But that's a lie, that God always works in our brokenness, that God steps in into your brokenness. God steps into my brokenness and he wants to do a work for our good in his glory. Uh, maybe you're experiencing some marital struggles or maybe you've even recently gone through a divorce. Maybe you're doing life as a single parent. Uh, maybe you're struggling with some healthish issues in your life. Maybe there's some sobriety and addiction issues. Maybe in your finances, you're trying to get out of debt. Here's what I want you to know. God loves you and desires to work in your brokenness, that God works in our brokenness. And we see this so clear in Jesus, that he would come to our broken world, that he would take on the flesh, to be born in a manger, that he steps into our brokenness, that God doesn't run from our brokenness, he steps into it. And we've believed this terrible lie that our brokenness actually keeps us from God. But here's what I want you to know about your heavenly father that God is in the restoration business, that God loves a good fixer-upper, that he loves to work in our lives. He loves to put the pieces back together that only he can bring the healing that we need in our lives, that God wants to do a work in you, but God also wants to do a work through you. In fact, we see this clearly in the life of Nehemiah, that God uses normal, ordinary, broken people to accomplish his great will and his purposes. This is what I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, which means literally his profession is to eat the food of the king and to drink the wine of the king. And as long as he doesn't get a stomachache or die, then the king knows it's good. That's what this guy does for a living. Uh, we don't even know that he's ever built anything. We know for sure Nehemiah was not a general contractor or a master builder. He didn't go to trade school. And yet God calls Nehemiah the cupbearer 
to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, something that he has no expertise in, something that he has no experience in, that God loves to use ordinary people like you and me to accomplish his will. And for me, I have been so motivated by the faith of Nehemiah. I mean, that God begins to work in his life that sometimes, I think, in, in our lives, we, we hope to have a big burning bush moment with God where uh, he would do some extraordinary, incredible thing to get our attention. And yet, in Nehemiah's life, it's just one conversation with somebody that he knows, hey, I think God's calling me to do something. God's put such a burden on my heart. And he begins to pray, and he begins to fast, and he begins to make plans, and he, he seeks God, and he begins to seek the work of God. And after a few months of this, he actually gets the approval of the king to return to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the walls that have laid in ruin for 141 years. And today as we wrap up our study on Nehemiah, this has been my hope and my prayer for us, is is that we would get a bigger picture of God. That that as we see what God has done, that it would increase our faith to believe that God could do a work like that in our lives today. That if God can use a guy like Nehemiah to accomplish an an impossible task would we begin to believe that God could work that way in our lives? Would we believe that God could actually impossible, uh, he would actually be able to accomplish the impossible in our lives? Did you know the word impossible is not in God's vocabulary? The scriptures say that nothing is impossible for God. And what the scriptures also reveal to us is that when you and I step out in faith to follow God, When we begin to put our trust in Jesus and believe in him, one of the things that happens in our lives is we will experience opposition. Uh, Last week we we were talking about three guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And these guys are the the sidewalk supervisors. They want to oppose Nehemiah. And essentially what they want to do is oppose the work of God and the calling of God on Nehemiah's life. And so they do that through criticism. They do it through opposition. They do it through trying to discourage them. Uh, They do it by trying to cause confusion among them. And listen, sometimes when we can believe that the Christian life is like all unicorns and rainbows and uh, Christians just skip around and sing kumbaya and it's never difficult. But listen, if you begin to follow Jesus, the call of Jesus on your life and my life is to take up our cross and follow him. The, The call of Christ in our lives is that we would die to ourselves and become alive in Christ and it's difficult. It's gonna be hard. There's gonna be opposition In fact, what we discover this week in Nehemiah chapter 6 is this. In case you fall asleep or get distracted, here's the punchline. The closer you get to the finish line, the harder the enemy will fight against you. Listen, the harder you or the closer you come to the finish line, that's when the enemy comes at you the hardest. That's when the opposition gets the greatest. Look at what Nehemiah says. This is out of his journal, Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to the time I had set up the doors and the gates. This is what Nehemiah says. He goes, listen, we're almost done. 
The walls are rebuilt. The mortar is set. The only thing that is left to be done is for the gates to be hung on their hinges to the finish line. Listen, and don't miss this. This is miraculous. Nehemiah and his crew in 52 days are going to accomplish what hasn't been done in 141 years. And it's not for a lack of trying. And so Nehemiah paints the picture. goes, we're so close. We're almost done. Verse 2. Then Samballot and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hecaphirium. In the plain of Ono. Now, two quick points. Whenever you read the Old Testament and you see a, a name you don't know, you just pronounce it quickly with confidence. That's how you get through that. You just say it quickly with confidence and you hope for the best. But here's what I want you to say. I want you to look at your neighbor for me this morning. We're going to have a little fun. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, no. I want you to see this this morning. See, what Nehemiah shows us is we should never listen to someone who lives in the land of oh, no. Because what he gets invited to is a meeting in Oh No. And, and geographically what this means is Oh No is 20 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem. And so they're trying to pull him away from the work. They're going, hey, now, now listen, if this, is, if this is Bible times, right, this is a horse ride. This isn't hopping in that Ford F-150 off-road, and this is... A journey, this is going to take Nehemiah away from the work. And see, what I want you to know this morning is in your life, one of the ways that you will experience opposition is through the oh no. Because if the enemy can't discourage you, the enemy will try to distract you. I want you to know that's one of the strategies of the enemy in your life is if the enemy can't discourage you, the enemy will try to distract you. And come on, you've experienced this in your life. I've experienced this in, in my life. Uh, these are kind of those ono moments that you experience that you go, hey, you know what, I'm going to make the decision. Uh, I'm going to begin to lose some weight. And then you go to a family member's house and they made a cake and they're going to be disappointed if you don't eat the cake. That's an ono moment. Uh, you decide that you're going to kick the habit, that there's some stuff in your life that you're going to begin to say no to, and then somebody says, hey, just have one beer with me or just take one hit on this thing with me, and they're trying to drag you back into the land of, oh, no. Uh, this is when you're, you're in your family and you go, you know what, hey, uh, we as a family, we're going to make church a priority, and then you get your kid's sports schedule, and every game is Sunday morning at 1130. That's an oh, no moment. Uh, this is when you're trying to get out of debt, pay off that, the, the, the stuff. You're trying to get a savings account and get free uh, and get some financial freedom. And then you go to the store and everything you love is on sale. That's an oh no moment. Uh, maybe you've experienced an oh no moment where maybe you're looking for a new job. And you do your best, you get the resume, you get dressed up and you go to the job and they say to you, oh no. We just don't think you're the right fit for this company. You and I will experience in our lives, oh no, moments. The question is, what do we do when we get invited to the land of oh no? And I love what Nehemiah reveals to us. Nehemiah 6, verse 2 and 3. He says, but they intended to do me harm 
And I sent, them I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I'll come down to you? I love this because Nehemiah goes, I know that you're trying to take me into the land of Ono, but listen, I've got a mission. I've got a project. I've got an assignment on my life. I simply can't come down from the work and make this journey to meet you. Listen, there is a difference between a good idea and a God idea. And see, sometimes what the enemy does in your life and my life is just presents us with a lot of good ideas to keep us from that one God idea. That the enemy knows that one of the ways he can distract us is just by keeping us busy. And this is kind of a pro tip from Nehemiah. Just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should do something. That sometimes you have to make a decision. Is this beneficial? Is this worthy? Is this right for me? Is this the time? Will this distract me for what God has for me? Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. That we have to develop a spiritual discipline of saying no to the oh no temptation. Listen, if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to say yes to the power and to the presence and to the activity of God in your life, you will simply have to say no to some other things. Did you know in your life and in my life, every time we say yes to something, it means we're saying no to something else. That you and I have to develop the spiritual habit of saying no. And it's difficult because I don't like letting people down. I don't like disappointing people. I don't even really like hurting people's feelings. And usually when you tell people no, it does those things. Nobody likes to hear the word no. And listen, as a pastor, like, we, we get all kinds of stuff sent our ways. Like, listen, if you're visiting from another church, you should pray for your pastor. If you would add me to your prayer list, I would appreciate it. Because people always have crazy ideas for churches. And people always have crazy ideas for pastors. I remember when we were just starting Redemption Church, we were like a year old. Uh, there was a woman who began to attend Redemption Church. And uh, one day she pulled me aside and she had this great idea for the church. The problem was it was a horrible idea. So I had to tell her no as lovingly as I could. And then a couple weeks later, she pulled me aside again, and she had another great idea for the church. But in reality, it was a horrible idea. The third time she pulled me aside, and she's like, Pastor, I figured it out. I think God is calling us as a church to buy a barn. Okay. I like barns. Tell me more. What are we going to do with said barn? We are going to use that barn, and we are going to rescue cats. We are going to fill the barn with cats. Now, don't get me wrong. I like cats. I just can't eat one all by myself. I'm actually not a big fan of cats. My, my kids are getting cats, and they're living on my in-law's farm, and I think that's a great arrangement. 
And I was like, well, what are we going to do when the barn is filled with cats? Well, well, we'll feed the cats. We'll care for the cats. And I'm like, where is all this money coming from? Well, the church is going to take this on as a ministry. And we are going to drive around and just find cats that have been abandoned or wild. And we're going to put them in the barn. Now, now, here's my thought. If you put a bunch of cats in a barn in a few months, you know what you have? More cats. <laughs> This, this doesn't sound like a good idea, nor do I think I should be driving around town snatching every cat that I see. So I verily love her say, I think this is a bad idea, and I don't think God is calling us to this. She's like, no, no, the Lord spoke to me. And I said, here's the problem. He didn't speak to me. And so I told her no. And that was her last Sunday at the church. Because the church wouldn't buy a barn to fill with cats. I'm like, Noah did it once, and God never called people to that again. And listen, people will have ideas for your life. People will have agendas for your life. And here's what I want you to see in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah is comfortable saying no to the oh no temptation. Nehemiah doesn't say yes to every request that comes his way. In fact, I thought I would share with you this morning, I have four main priorities in my life. These, these are four things that, that really manage. These are four decisions I've already made that inform my yeses and inform my noes. The first one is this. I just want to be an obedient, spirit-filled Christ follower that abides in Christ and walks in love and obedience to him. That's, that's my main priority. I want to love Jesus and follow him. So my yes to Jesus informs other noes in my life. My second priority is this, is I want to have a Christ-centered, joy-filled marriage that goes the distance with my wife, Audrey. That's a big priority to me. So my yes to Audrey is a no to all kinds of stuff. Listen, I have friends whom I love, and, and they want to get together for poker nights, and there's all kinds of stuff they want to do, and every now and then we talk about guys' trips, and my answer is usually no, because I love my wife, and I want to stay married to her, and if I was going to go away for a few days, I would rather go with her than with a group of guys. And so that yes informs that decision. Number three, I want to be an engaged father who raises kids who are strong in the Lord, who know how to think for themselves and are equipped to embrace God's will for their lives. That's my thing. I don't want to be a perfect father because I've already messed that up. I started an account long ago for my kids counseling later because I know I'm going to jack them up a little. <laughs> but listen, I, I, want, I want to be an engaged father. So my yes to my children means no to other things. It means that the, day, the way I, I structure my daily life, I have to say, Yes to them and no to other things. And, and maybe you're thinking about plugging in at Redemption Church, and we would love that. But hey, let me just be clear with you. Like, in our house, dinner time is a sacred time. Like, it's powerful to get around the table as a family. I think most of our good conversation, even spiritual conversation, happens around the dinner table. It also helps that my wife is an incredible cook. And so I don't give up a lot of dinner time. Listen, I'll get up early in the morning and have coffee with you. I will have lunch with you. I will have a pre-dinner meeting with you. And I'll even have a post-late night meeting with you. But odds are, if you ask me for dinner, my answer will be no. Because I've committed that to my children, that I want them to remember mealtimes with mom and dad. And listen, sometimes people get really angry about that. Sometimes people are like, why can't you just meet me for dinner? I was like, because I've already said yes to my kids. 
Hey, see, uh, people can always find another church, another pastor, but my kids will only ever have one dad. And see, I only ever want to have one wife, and it's not the church. Her name's Audrey. And that's why my last priority, number four, is I want to be a faithful pastor and under-shepherd to the people that call the Redemption Church home. And so my yes to those things are no's to other things. That I live for the priorities, not for the new shiny distractions that can happen in our lives. And here's what I want you to tell you. When God speaks to you, when you begin to discover God's identity for you, the purpose he has for you, the mission that he's placed on every single one of our lives, when God begins to work in your life, you will be faced with not only opposition, but you will also be faced with the oh no temptations to become distracted. And moms, you'll, you'll get this verse more than probably the dads, Nehemiah 6.4. And he says, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. This is, this is moms, this is that voice. Mom, mommy, mom, 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 mommy, mom, mom, mommy, mom. And you're like, what? Nothing, just wanted to make sure you were there. Yeah. Right? They're, they're just persistent. They're coming after Nehemiah, meet with us, meet with us, meet with us, meet with us. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Listen, those voices are persistence. They're coming after Nehemiah strong. And listen, sometimes we have to have soft hearts, but we also have to have a little bit of iron in our spine, that we have to be able to tell the oh, no voices in our lives, even when they're relentless, hey, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. But see, we also begin to discover that the enemy will not only try to distract you and discourage you, but if the enemy can't discourage you and distract you, the enemy will try to discredit you. See what happens next. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it says, In the same way, Samballot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, it is reported among the nations. Have you ever had anybody come to you and be like, everybody's saying, well, who? Them. Well, who are them? You know they. Well, who are they? You know those guys. The entire nation is saying this, Nehemiah. And even Geshem, who's like not a credible source. Even Geshem says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. He goes on in verse 7, And you've also set up the prophets to proclaim concerning in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah, and now that king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Uh, This is the first case of fake news. Because what they're doing is they're taking around an open letter. This would be the equivalent of people saying things on social media that everybody can see. And what they're saying is, Nehemiah, you're rebuilding Jerusalem because you want to be king. You're rebelling against the king who gave you his blessing. This is a big deal. They are essentially accusing him of treason, which is punishable by death. So they're throwing some big mud. They're throwing around some big words. And see, what we discover in Nehemiah chapter 5 is that Nehemiah is a humble, caring, Christ-like servant leader. That he's fighting for the good of the nation. 
He's doing everything he's doing because God called him to it. He's even taking personal sacrifice. He's giving up things that he deserves. He's giving up things that he's earned. He's giving up things that he's due, but he's, he's showing huge amounts of generosity and sacrifice to fight for the good of the people and the nation of Israel. This is why this is important. See, what they're trying to do is try to engage Nehemiah in a fight. And what they're trying to do is say, hey, we're going to throw a little mud your way, and we're hoping that you'll throw a little mud our way. We're going to say some bad stuff about you, and come on, come on, come on. What we want you to do is, is say some bad stuff about us, because you know what happens the minute Nehemiah engages them? He becomes no better than them. It's like what George Bernard Shaw says. He says, I learned long ago never to wrestle with a pig. You get dirty, and besides, the pig really likes it. They're trying to discredit him as a leader. Come on, come on. Do something that's not good. Come on, come on. Do something that's true. We need you to mess up so we can tell people the truth instead of making things up about you. I love the way Nehemiah handles this. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I sent to them saying, no such thing as you say has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Nehemiah's like, I'm not messing around. I don't have a lot of time to deal with you. So what you're saying is not true, and you know they're not true because you're making them up. But then Nehemiah does something else. He diverts his attention from those who try to distract him to the divine. That Nehemiah, instead of focusing his time and his energy talking to those who are there to distract him and oppose him, he spends more time speaking to the Lord. He begins to pray. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking... Their hands will drop the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. See, Nehemiah has a big view of God. That's what he told us last week is remember the Lord who is great and awesome. In Nehemiah's mind, God is big and man is small. That God can, God can accomplish the impossible even when people oppose him. So rather than spending all his time talking back to the haters, what Nehemiah does is he spends time talking to his Savior. He says, listen, God, you know what's going on. You know what they intend. We need your strength. Verse 6. Now, when I went into the house of Shemamiah, you know, quick and confident, that's how we're going to get through this, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehabedal. If you're looking for a name for a child, Mehabedal. Great. He was confined to his home, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you tonight. Now, this is interesting because Nehemiah is meeting with a guy who's a prophet. And when he meets with the prophet, he's assuming that the prophet is going to tell him something that the Lord has communicated to him. And so when he goes into the house of the prophet, what the prophet says is, hey, we need to sneak into the temple and we need to hang out there because they'll never think to look in the temple for you. This is a pro tip from the life of Nehemiah. Be careful who you listen to. Every time you listen to someone, you should ask yourself the question, can what this person says be verified and backed up with Scripture? 
Listen, every time we teach at Redemption Church, the reason we put the scripture up on the screen, the reason we tell you to open up your Bibles is because I want you to see what we're saying is in scripture. I don't want you to walk in here and ever go, well, just because the pastor said. I want you to go, well, it's because the scripture said. And when people speak to you, the question should be is what they're saying, can that be verified and backed up in scripture? Here's why this is important for Nehemiah. In the Old Testament, the temple is holy. It is the dwelling place of God. Now, this is Old Testament stuff. And so only certain priests at certain times can access certain parts of the temple. It would have been a sin against God for Nehemiah to go hide in the temple. So they're trying to bait him. They're trying to draw him in. And so Nehemiah says in verse 11, But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go in the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and I saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. See, if the enemy can't discourage you, the enemy will distract you. And if the enemy can't distract you, the enemy will try to get you to a place where you can be discredited. Listen, one of the ways you can, you can surely know the voice of God in your life is God will never call you to sin, never. God would never call you to break his word. That's how you know in those oh-no moments where someone's going, hey, 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 just have one more cupcake or one more drink or spend just some more money that's not really yours. You know that's not the voice of God because God always wants his best for you and he gives us his best in Jesus and he would never command you to break his word. That's why he's given it to us. So Nehemiah knows, hey, this isn't the guy to listen to because what he's telling me isn't what's found in Scripture. He goes on in verse 13 to say, For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, so they could give me in a bad name in order to taunt me. One of the things I love about Nehemiah is his resolve. I love his passion for God. I love his resiliency. Listen, I'm not coming down from the wall. We're almost there. I'm not listening to you. I'm not giving up, and I'm not stepping into sin. That when you and I begin to take a step of faith in our lives for Christ, listen, when you begin to fight for joy and unity and Christ-centeredness in your marriage, when you raise your kids in the way of God, maybe you're saving yourself for marriage and you want to do it God's way. Maybe you're trying to get out of debt. Maybe you're trying to break the chains of addiction. Maybe you're a single mom just trying to do her best. Here's the thing. There will be opposition. There will be criticism. People will say crazy things about you. The enemy will try to discourage you. The enemy will try to distract you. The enemy will try to discredit you. But Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that if you're a Christ follower, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that resides in you. That you don't walk in fear, that you walk in faith. And as you get close to the finish line, the opposition will come against you. But don't quit. Don't give up. Don't listen to the opposers. Don't say yes to the oh no temptation. 
Tell them no. Say, I can't come down from the wall. I won't listen to you. I won't be distracted by you. And I won't allow you to step me into a place where I will be discredited. And Nehemiah says in Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. See, this is the power of a God-only testimony. That Nehemiah is not perfect, never built anything in his life, but he allows the power and the presence of God to direct his activity. He allows the mission of God to take priority in his life, and he fights to the finish. And listen, anything worthwhile is worth fighting for. Friends, we don't get saved by Jesus and then just sit around waiting for eternity. God has given you a purpose. God has given you an identity. God has given you power. And God has given you a mission. So fight. Don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. And definitely don't give up. And maybe there's some of us here this morning that go, you know what? I've lived in that discouragement. I've been distracted. You know, you might even say to yourself, I've given up before. Well, God's a God who loves restoration projects. That God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. That everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect. So maybe what God's calling you today is to pick the hammer back up. Not to give up. Not to build in your own power, not to build in your own might, not to build by yourself, but maybe to get in some gospel community, maybe get with other people who can encourage you, who can help you, and don't give up, but rather remember God who is awesome and great and fight. Because if you still have breath in your lungs, friends, God's not done with you yet. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.